All right, here we go with Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Okay, it's interesting to hear Mike Farnworth, the Public Safety Minister, talk about the aftermath of, mm-hmm. of the flooding disasters that we've seen and what sort of powers and responsibilities the province could have going forward yeah. here, right? Because right now there's a lot of municipal responsibility. Yeah, so in, in 2003, Gordon Campbell, back in the early days of the B.C. Liberal government, they wanted to get the provincial government out of everything. They wanted to downsize so many things, offload responsibilities, uh, really get uh, the provincial government down to uh, a much less impactful uh, level on all sorts of things. So one of the things they did was hand off control of the dike system and flood response and, and all that to the local municipalities. As a result, over the years, you've got a checkerboard system in Metro Vancouver where different municipalities have different systems, different rules, different strategies, and we saw the weakness of that play out in what we're seeing right now. So I've talked to Mike Farmworth uh, about this. It came up yesterday as well. We are going to see, in the aftermath of this, once the review is done, you're going to see a shift from local authorities back to the province and potentially the federal government as well because a lot of money is going to be required to fix this thing, and it's going to come from the other senior governments. It's not going to come from municipal governments. They don't have that kind of money. So this no. is this is provincial and federal dollars, and as you can see in almost any other instance, once those senior governments start shifting dollars to something, they want some control over that, and that's what you're going to see here. Right, and especially you take a look at those dike systems that, that failed there mm-hmm. in the Sumas Prairie region. I mean, that's going to be an expensive fix. They're going to need yep. more extensive well, reinforced duct work. One, one work report there. a few years ago suggested it was $10 billion oh. to bring this thing up to, up to speed. Wow. Um, and again, so that's on top of the, the repair costs and recovery costs. This is a, this is a mammoth infrastructure program that's going forward and it's going to involve provincial money federal money and it's going to involve provincial control and federal control municipalities are not going to have control anymore okay let's listen to mike farnworth the public safety minister on this point here talking about uh, the aftermath of the of the disasters and the flooding have a listen after any uh, event uh, such as we've seen whether it's wildfires uh, heat dome or or floods we obviously do a review of uh, of what has taken place uh, always trying to identify gaps or areas where we can improve okay so yeah so there will be a review and probably a lot of changes just like there's a review of heat dome situation wildfires uh, there's going to have to be uh, some action taken that was never even uh, foresaw uh, a decade ago, and this includes now the province taking, I think, now municipalities are not going to be cut out of the mix here. They're not going to be have no control, but it's going to be a more joint effort with the province having a lot more say in, in and the feds potentially in what uh, what the Viking system is and other flood mitigation measures. Are. And a lot more money, right? Like this is going to be an expensive proposition here. A lot well, of infrastructure I, spending. As I said, $10 billion yeah. to fix the dike system. And that's, you know, there's other infrastructure problems that have been exposed here as well, quite apart from the highways. That's another, you know, potential billion-dollar-plus uh, effort to repair all, all the with, All with affiliated union labor, right? <laughs> you, ever, you ever heard that saying, never let a crisis go to waste? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if there may be some people in the government thinking, okay, this is a disaster. We've got to deal with it. But, man, oh, man, this is going to be a lot of infrastructure well, spending we're going to pay, and it's going to be union only. Well, uh, right. maybe, um, but go back to the beginning of the pandemic. This was uh, never let, you're right, never let a crisis go to waste here. Yeah. Uh, in the pandemic, we saw all sorts of things happen. You know, we didn't have operating rooms in the healthcare system uh, working much on weekends, for example. Well, that all that all changed once, once the pandemic came in here. So a lot of things have changed in the pandemic. A lot of things are going to change because of climate change. 
Yeah, okay, we're keeping a close eye on that one. We spoke earlier today on the show, Keith, about the transition to a local police force in the city of Surrey. been controversial. There's a fight against it. The city's divided. Should they keep the RCMP or they go mm-hmm. to this local force? Now, the local force is beginning to get up and running. They've got the local Surrey Police Service officers now in training. They're doing ride-alongs with RCMP officers as they ramp up this new police force. Now, here's the question. How long is it going to take? And how much is it going to cost? Because a lot of people are saying that, look, the budget for this thing could be blown, especially if it takes mm-hmm. longer than we think. Now, have a listen to this. Now, this is Norm Lipinski, uh, the new chief of the Surrey Police Service, and talking to Jazz Joe Hall yesterday. And what they're talking about here is the budget. This is the one-time budget for transitioning to a new police force. It's supposed to take two years. $64 million. What if it takes longer than two years, which I think it will? What happens to that budget? They got to, is this going to be more expensive than we think? Now, here's what he had to say, and they'll get your thoughts. That's what it costs for transition, $64 million. I've had a look at what equipment we need. I had a look at what IT we need. And I had a look at what the long game is pertaining to uh, staffing. And so uh, it's, it's uh, pointed in the right direction. Never say never, of course, because uh, nobody's done this before, and there may be surprises in the future. Well, I'm not oh. sure if it's never been done before, but... Oh, there will be surprises. So, <laughs> basic rule of thumb, it's going to take longer than expected, and it's yeah. going to cost more than expected. And Surrey taxpayers are going to be on the hook for this uh, interesting experiment. But I think uh, the, this will be an issue come the next municipal election. Um, again, I'm not sure um, the proponents of a Surrey-only police force are going to win that election, but we'll see. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a hot-button issue in Surrey. It doesn't impact really elsewhere, except... If you start hiring constables in Surrey, are you taking them away from other police forces? And that's going to be an issue of great interest going forward. Yeah, and I I talked to Bill Thielman about this on the show earlier today. Now, he's part of the campaign to keep the RCMP in Surrey. Mm -hmm. He's saying, don't do this. Let's keep the Mounties. And I'm not sure it can be stopped at this point. Now, he just made the same point you did, that, look, we've got an election coming up, a municipal election next year. And there will be a slate of candidates who may very well promise that, look, we'll stop this train from going down the tracks and we'll, yep. we'll stop this thing and we'll keep the Mounties instead. I don't, I'm not sure if that's going to be possible. But one of the other things he wants is he wants the provincial government to wade into this thing and order a referendum on it. I don't think that's going to happen either. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the province wants to stay a million miles away from this thing. Having said that, Surrey is the proverbial battleground when it comes to elections uh, at the provincial level. Whoever wins Surrey is really going to determine who runs this province. And the NDP probably wants to be on the right side, as do the BC Liberals, on the right side of where the voters are. But I'm not sure it's in the interest of any provincial political party to get too close to this thing that seems like an increasingly messy problem. Okay, we've got an awesome debate coming up later on the show on the monarchy in Canada. And a brand new opinion poll out this week It says, if you believe this, that more and more Canadians are opting, are, are liking the idea of Canada becoming a republic. Like, let's cut the cord, cut the ties to the monarchy, especially after the reign of Queen Elizabeth is over. Like, once, once Charles is king, then maybe it becomes <laughs> a little less. Camilla is the yeah. queen consort. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, when, when Queen Elizabeth passes on, um, that may change uh, the parameters of this debate. Having said that, I've covered a lot of royal tours, and one of the ones that was really had the most excitement and an electric feeling wasn't the Queen. It was the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, sure. who came here a few years ago on yeah. the front lawn of the legislature. 
in Victoria, captivated the city. I've never seen a bigger crowd uh, than what we saw in the front lawn of the BC legislature when the, that couple came here. It wasn't the Queen, it was the Duke and Duchess. Prince William. Yeah. yeah. And Kate. Yeah. And it was it was uh, mania. Uh, so there's a, still a lot of popularity out there for the for the monarchy. Yeah, well, Prince William is popular. He probably may be more popular than his dad. I don't, I don't know. Oh, I think, I've, yeah, you know, I've covered <laughs> when, when Prince Charles and Camilla came here a few years ago, there were maybe 20 people <laughs> on the driveway. <laughs> I was one of them. And uh, there was no crowd. There was no no big uh, uh, mob there. But when the Duke and Duchess were here, I suspect if, if Prince Harry ever came here, he did come here, actually, with Meghan and lived up yeah, in the sure house up the yeah. peninsula. That yeah. really captivated the city. Uh, so it, it extends beyond Queen Elizabeth. It doesn't yeah. necessarily extend it to the potential King Charles. Okay, maybe it's too early to write off the monarchy in Canada, but I'll tell you, that's going to be an interesting discussion. We just saw Barbados become a republic after 400 years. They cut the cord, we're and not some bar- people bar- are saying we're that not Canada Barbados, should So I, I, given the crowds associated with royal visits, I don't see that happening. We'll see. Okay. All right, welcome back. It's Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Gary in Vancouver. Hi. Hi, mate. Uh, regarding the monarchy, in my opinion, if Charles becomes king, we should uh, follow. We should we should beat Australia to the punch and leave. If William and Kate become sovereign, I think we should stay. And one of the main reasons is the British Empire, the British Commonwealth, is our best shield against the United States. Don't forget, during the Trump era, they made it very clear they're friends for, with us when it's convenient for them. When they decide that they need fresh water, they're coming across the border, and that's all there is Well, what's wrong with Charles, though? What do do Uh, you got against Charles? Charles is, in my opinion, a looney tune. (laughs) <laughs> he wants to he wants to stick his fingers into into what was going on in London. He's sticking his fingers in where he's got no business. He, okay, know, that that's the problem with Charles. And, okay, Gary. Uh, okay, say, thanks for the call. Well, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't like he doesn't like Charles. Some people have said maybe Charles should say, "Look, I'm I'm going to pass this yeah, directly yeah, on to William." Pass it on to William. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. Although I, you got to figure psychologically he wants to be king well, uh, but yeah. again you know even in terms of this poll take a look at uh, the audience uh, for the netflix series the crown big audience Huge. big popularity so people love a, it there's a lot of interest in this and i don't think canadians want to necessarily say goodbye yeah. to it yeah chris and langley hey chris hey fellas uh yeah what precipitated this police force change in surrey there was uh, the gangland shootings and uh and trying to get that all sorted out and get everybody uh, organized and kind of on the same page. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to jinx it, uh, but it seems like we've had a bit of a lull in that. Uh, the explosive uh, murders we were seeing for a while there uh, seems to have died off. Pardon the pun. Yeah, well, uh, I think you raise a good point because the, the woman who's leading the campaign to keep the RCMP is Darlene Bennett, who is the widow of, you may people may remember Paul Bennett, the hockey dad mm-hmm. who got gunned down in his driveway, yeah. a mistaken, mistake. mistaken identity in a, in a bungled gang hit. And she has been leading that campaign to try and keep the, the RCMP in Surrey. 
Yeah, this is not a, this is not a done deal. Even though it, it does seem to be pointing towards a, 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 a switch here, but it's going to as Norm Lipinski, the interview with Jazz Johal made clear, yeah. a lot of questions still unanswered here, and the timeline is not going to be as short as a lot of people think. There's still a lot of things uh, to happen here before it's a fait accompli. Right, because it's supposed to be a two-year transition, and he was leaving the door open for it to be longer than that. Like I think he said, I don't think it'll be five. But it might it might be somewhere well, in the if middle. It, if it crosses an oh. a municipal election and a different slate gets in that wants to turn the clock back to keeping the RCMP, then all bets are off. Okay, six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight is the number to call. Star ninety eight ninety eight on your cell. John in Vancouver. Hi, John. Hey, hi. There. I was just looking at YouTube recently. I was bored, and I found a government of BC uh, documentary. They entitled it "The Coquihalla in Eight Minutes." Yeah, mm. in there it, they boast about how they built that in twenty minute, uh, twenty twenty uh, months, I should say. Mm -hmm. But what I heard very loud and clear is they diverted the Coquihalla River in eighteen places. Yeah, I all know that you can't change course of nature, hence yep. why the, the roads all wiped out. I hope that they get smart and re-engineer everything, and maybe Trudeau will give us a six-lane road each way on uh, Highway One because it's his responsibility. Mm. Trans Canada yeah. Highway government. Of, uh, yeah, Canada. yeah. Your your point about the Coquihalla is well taken. It was uh, it was a very controversial project at the time. There was diversion of the river. There was some uh, fast tracking. Uh, a lot of stuff was built in the dead of winter, uh, where criticism was uh, made at the time that, in terms of engineering, this was not necessarily up to speed. It was a subject of a commission of inquiry post construction. That yeah. did conclude there was a lot of corners cut here. Uh, now oh. I'm not. We're we're going to see what happens post, uh, you know, mortem analysis. Uh, but uh, this thing was hit in 20 different places, broken in 20 different places. That river uh, caused a lot of damage to this highway. Was it a, a case of just a matter of time before this was to happen? We'll know more in the post mortem analysis. It's going to be fascinating to see whether some of the original engineering decisions to build the Coquihalla ended up being wrong or proven mm. wrong as a result of this disaster. Yeah, that'll be fascinating. Al on the line in Surrey. Hi, Al. Hi. Uh, I agree with getting rid of the Queen, but we shouldn't have a Governor General. The Supreme Court head could step in for the odd ceremony. That's it. Uh, th three, everyone read Dan Cooper's book about the head office for the RCMP in Ottawa basically shut down money laundering further investigations. Thank okay, you. Okay, th thank you for the call. Well, I think you mean uh, Sam Cooper. Sam, not, not Sam Cooper, yeah. Sam Cooper. Um, on, on the governor general, well, I mean, you know, you need a head of state. In, in Barbados, what they've done is they have a new president who is now the head of state for Barbados instead of the Queen. I think a lot of people like the pomp and ceremony that comes with the governor general, that comes with the lieutenant governor. Yeah. I mean, throne speech day at the B.C. legislature in normal times is big crowds. You know, the cannons are fired. The bands are playing. The military parade. There's an inspection from the lieutenant governor. It's unique, and I think it separates us from places like the United States. Yeah. Rick in New West. Hi, Rick. Hey, how are you? Good. Go ahead. Good. Uh, I'd just like to bring up the date on what's going on at the uh, Canada-U.S. border with the recent change on November 30th where you didn't have to test any longer to come across. Yes. And so I said, okay, we're going down. When I got to the border after about being down there four hours or so, um, it was really taking a long time to get across. And uh, so what? Uh, when I got to the guard, he had already he opened his window he said, have you filled in the app? I said, no. He closed the window, 
When he opened it again, he said, I'm issuing you a mandatory quarantine order. Okay, thank you for the call. We're out of time. Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, I mean, people have different experiences at the border. A lot depends literally on the luck of the draw, which border guard you get. It's going to be a confusing situation for some time. Thank you, Keith. All right.